Welcome to episode three of the Everyday Yoga podcast, uh, Yoga Philosophy for Everyday Life. Uh, it's Brendan Murphy here, the uh, founder and director of Shanti Warrior Yoga. I hope you're well. Um, first of all, it's World Mental Health Day today, uh, at the time of recording anyway, the 10th of October 2019. And the World Federation for Mental Health has made suicide prevention the main theme of this day. Uh, this year. Now, I spoke about suicide prevention on the first episode, so I won't go into that again here on this podcast. And if you want to hear me uh, discuss uh, suicide prevention, suicide awareness, uh, go back and listen to episode one. Um, I'll just address it a little bit, of course, you know, and look after, say, just say, I guess, look after yourself, look after the people that you love around you, check in on yourself and the people that you care about you know, each day if you can, every day, or just whenever you get a chance at least, um, whether it's World, you know, Mental Health Day, World Mental Health Awareness Day or not, um, you know, it's not just important today, it's important every day, right? So, everyday yoga, practicing some of the yoga philosophy in your everyday life can help um, to keep you in a better state of mental health, right? So, hopefully this is a little bit of what this uh, podcast is providing uh, for you, as well as for me, actually, to help me check in with myself and take some time out and just, you know, see where I'm at. This is, um, as in most of the classes that I teach, um, when I'm saying things to the people that I'm teaching, I'm um, a lot of the time reminding myself of the principles that I'm discussing and reminding myself to practice the the philosophy and the psychology behind it and the mindfulness and, you know, the kindness behind it all. So, yeah, hopefully I can bring a little bit of that to you. It's, I've gained a lot from, from this practice over the, what, 13 years that I've been, been doing it now. And, um, yeah, I hope you're finding a little bit of something useful from this as well. Um, just to let you know, if you are finding this podcast useful and enjoying it, um, you can help support the podcast and, um, you know, make sure that, um, it carries on because I, you know, me, I have to, like anybody else, prioritize paid work and it takes a little bit of time to, to make these things. Um, so if I'm going to carry on doing it, hopefully, I love doing it and I, and I really would love to carry on doing it, but it would really be a massive help towards making sure that I do carry on doing these things if you could uh, help support it, right? And so um, some of the guys that I listen to on podcasts, uh, they use uh, the Patreon model, uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. And... Um, Essentially, what you can do is if you, well, these guys, to borrow some of the, one of the lines off uh, Blind Boy, a guy that I listened to, to um, his podcasts are, are, are really useful and entertaining. And, you know, don't necessarily agree with everything that he, that he says on there. But, you know, if you, I guess, who can you say that about? Who can you say that you totally agree with everything that they say? But I find his stuff really thoughtful and, um, genuine and authentic but anyway blind boy when he's talking about his patreon um, model that he uses to help fund his podcast he says if you you know saw me in town 
and you thought I'd you know buy blind boy a, a pint or a or a cup of coffee once a month, then you can do that. The equivalent of that by uh, donating, being a patron of the podcast via Patreon.com. So if you go to Patreon.com and search for uh, Shanti Warrior Yoga, uh, you'll find me on there as a creator, and you can you know donate the price of a pint or a or a, or a cup of coffee once a month, and that'll really kind of help to um, make this something that is as financially rewarding as it is um, emotionally and intellectually and uh, makes sure that, 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 that the podcast carries on. Anyway, so enough about that. Um, so this week I, I wanted to talk about um, a bit of a theme from something that came up when uh, my dad was helping me put up a uh, curtain rail in the house. And um, so my dad's a carpenter um by trade and he, and he has been for you know over uh, let me think probably more than 50 years and um yeah he he works at uh one of the top uh universities in London um as the head of health and safety down there he's so he's kind of done everything there is to be done in in terms of um you know working on the building sites doing carpentry and and um uh, and being a foreman and overlooking all that so he's got this massive wealth of experience when it comes to doing things around the place that you know I kind of sometimes wish that I had I mean I always wish I could I could you know be more handy around the place and uh, you know be able to do to just look at something and say if I you know tweak that and did that I could improve the house by doing such and such so anyway he's helped me to put this curtain rail up couldn't find the right measurement of pole for the window and so he just said okay well let's go get a bit of piping from the uh the bathroom section and um we'll measure how long we want that pole to be get a couple of brackets stick them up cut the pole with a hacksaw down to the right size and and then you know put that in place and um one of the things that he said when we were doing this was Measure twice, cut once. It's a good principle to live by, I think. You know, he's talking about taking your time and making sure you measure the, 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 the distance of the pole along the pole that you want to cut it at twice to make sure you've got it right, and then cut it once. So instead of, you know, cutting it, not enough, so that you're gonna have to go and cut it again, or cutting it too short so that the, the pole is useless and you'll go and have to buy another pole and, and do the whole thing again. But so, but I think that that's something that can be translated to um, more than just carpentry. I think it's a, a, a lovely little principle to, to discuss and try and expand upon in this podcast. Measure twice, cut once. Take your time and do things right. And that's, I think that's a really important principle and it's a very... Um, it relates to mindfulness a lot. And it's kind of along the same lines of the old phrase, less haste, more speed, isn't it? You know, things get done quicker when you don't rush. Because when you try to rush to do something, invariably you, you do it not quite right, where something has to be adjusted later on. And, and then, you know, so in the short term, maybe you save a bit of time by rushing to do that thing, but 
it's more expedient if you don't have to go back and do it again the next day or the day after because you haven't quite done it right the first time, right? So do things right, take your time to do them right. And then, yes, it might take a bit longer in the short term, but in the long term, you're going to save time by not having to replace that thing by, you know, cutting the pole too short or, or, or and it's wobbling about and it falls off, you know, or, or, I don't know, taking your time to prepare the food for a meal properly so that you don't kind of ro- ruin the whole thing and then end up just eating beans on toast and you know, you're going to have to cook all, throw all that stuff out and cook again. It's not going to take a long time to make beans on toast, but you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, so when you don't rush past things, um, taking it back to the mindfulness, you don't rush past things, you observe more as well. And so because in the previous podcast episodes I've been flicking open some books and I said initially it was going to be yoga books but I'm just looking at books now actually that I have and that interest me and I'm going to open those up and see if I can get bits from those books that relate to to yoga philosophy in some way because this is what it's about trying to use yoga philosophy in everyday life it's not just trying to go into the the esoteric um intangible stuff about yoga that you know if you don't practice yoga, if you haven't read a lot about it, you might not be interested in. Um, I'm trying to make this accessible to to a broader audience, right? And then maybe that might encourage you to go and look at some yoga philosophy and then maybe that'll encourage you to, to practice some yoga in your everyday life. And then, you know, maybe by taking that little bit of time for yourself, you might improve the quality of your life, right? Maybe not, but... It's worth a go, isn't it? What what have I got to lose? What have you got to lose by trying to make your life a bit better, right? Okay. So, measure twice, cut once. Take your time, do things right. Take your time and do things right to observe the world around you, to observe the world within, right? But So, anyway, first of all, I, I, I thought, well, let's look at taking time to observe the world around you and um there's a book that i have uh got which my other half got me which is brilliant um sometimes it's quite difficult to read as well because it's quite technical in terms of um the language that it uses but some of the stuff in there is really worthwhile it's called the hidden life of trees and it's written by a guy called peter uh, volleben hope i'm pronouncing that right it's a german guy um i think it's a german name anyway so the hidden life of trees, uh, Peter Walleben writes in there, uh, whereas it is generally accepted that we know less about the ocean floor than we know about the surface of the moon, we know even less about life in the soil. There are more life forms in a handful of forest soil than there are people on the planet. Now, I thought that was amazing, that, that line there. Um, this book, as I say, The Hidden Life of Trees, published by uh, William Collins. Uh, this edition was published in 2017. Uh, let's go back on that line. There are more life forms in a handful of forest soil than there are people on the planet. Now, that's, I think that, that's class to me. You know, it it's, um, just gives you some kind of perspective on, um, 
you know, the existence of humans on the planet. Um, but also, uh, m- more relevant to what I'm talking about today is that there is more to the world than what you can just see. There's much more to you than what you can just see. If you think about that, you know, um, more life forms in a handful of forest soil than there are people on the planet, doesn't mean you can see them, you know, in the human eye without having to use uh, microscopes and, and so on. But it's like the air around you, right? The air around you, you know, if you kind of wave your hand around in the air, right, you can feel something, right? You can feel a little bit of resistance of the air around you. And, you know, what what are you moving through when you, when you, when you do that? It's not nothing, is it? Just because you can't see it, right? What do you think you're breathing? So I guess with the yoga philosophy, and this podcast, what I'm trying to do is give you a sense of wonder and, and kind of awe about things that maybe you've taken for granted in your everyday life. And, you know, I guess there's there's a part of that as well. Uh, I mentioned before that um, that I'm doing a, a psychology uh, degree. I'm doing that, studying that for, uh, for that part time uh, via the Open University. And the first module, I've just finished my uh, first year. Um, still waiting on the final result for that module. Um, so fingers crossed, the result comes out in October the twenty ninth. If anybody else who's listening is uh waiting on results for that day, good luck, all the best to you. Um, uh, but the first module in this degree is the introduction to social sciences, and um, and a lot of what that is about. There's there's sociology in there. There's social psychology. There's economics. There's uh political philosophy. Um, a lot of what that is about, that module, is um, making you look again at things that you've taken for granted in your everyday, like, you know, um, what would happen if um, the bin men didn't come around and collect the bins? You know, what would happen um, if you didn't have um, the market system working the way that it does? How do you, you know, another thing that it brings up in terms of the bystander effect and so on is um, how you read situations and how other people are acting around you and how that impacts how you act. But conversely as well, how you act has an impact on the people around you. Um, So, you know, there's loads of stuff there. Um, Essentially, what I'm trying to say is try and open your eyes and your and your and your mind's eye a bit more and this is what I'm trying to do as well. It's not that I'm I'm saying I've mastered how to do this. I'm just trying to take you on the journey with me, I guess. Try and open your eyes to to the fact that there's much more to the world around you than what you can just see. Right? And there's much more to you than what you can just see as well. And you know, along that line, um it reminds me of um this TED talk that I saw by a guy called Alexander Belcredi. And he did a, a TED talk about these little viruses that um, help fight bacteria called, and these little things are called phages. Um, and, and that sounds weird, doesn't it? You know, a, a virus that helps fight bacteria. 
And these little things he shows, uh, look it up online if you get a chance, Alexander Belcredi, B-E-L-C-R-E-D-I, on the TED Talks, um, uh, I don't know if it's on a TED Talks channel or whatever, but if you Google Alexander Belcredi TED Talk, um, phages, which is which are spe- is spelt uh, P-H-A-G-E-S, um, these little viruses, he claims... There are more than 10 billion of these little phages, these little viruses. They look, at, when he shows it on the, um, on the microscope, um, they look like little ants, almost. He says that there are more than 10 billion of these phages on the average human hand fighting bacteria because it's an amazing breeding ground for bacteria on your hands. So there's loads of food, essentially, for these phages to feed on. So if you look at your hand now, and I'm sorry if this freaks you out, right? But um, these little things are good, right? Ten, there's about more than, he reckons, 10 billion phages on your hand right now fighting against bacteria, right? And that's, you, you, you didn't know about that maybe before I just mentioned that I didn't know about it until I heard about it. But that's, you know, there's much more going on than what you can just see. Don't rush past things. Try and pay attention to what's going on, you know, um, in the world around you. And, um, you know, I guess taking that back to the fact that it's World Mental Health Awareness today, uh, pay attention to your mates or your family if they're um, kind of not acting themselves if they're not feeling so good you know just have a little chat with them see you know scratch under the surface a little bit they might be looking like they're they're all good on the surface with a smile um but you know it's not always the case is it you know it's not always the case for you when you're smiling and looking happy doesn't mean you are right so check in with yourself don't rush past stuff check in with the people around you um measure twice cut once Right, so it goes back to that little thing, you know. If you take your time to do things properly, and uh, make sure that you're doing the things properly as best you can, uh, you'll save time in the long run. You might might take you longer in the short term, but you'll save time. And it's the same thing with um the yoga postures, you know, in the in the um in the body and the classes. When you if you take time to set your foundations up. Um, you know, standing in the alignment, um, for instance, of your, your middle toes pointed straight forward when you're standing in in a, a mountain pose as opposed to your, to your heels turning in and your toes out, then you'll feel less pinching in your, your lower back, you know, paying attention to these small things, you know. And then when you, say, for instance, do something like a, a wide-legged forward fold where your your feet are, are wide and you're doing a, a fold forward to stretch the back of your legs and your knees if you make sure that the foundations are right there where you have your your big toes lined up um, your middle toes parallel and pointed straight forwards you're much less likely to to twist your ankles and your knees and and, and do yourself damage right so take your time to do it right set everything up and then, you know, you'll save time in the long run. If you're trying to do yoga to prevent injuries, 
you'll save time in the long run by not having to uh, deal with injuries that you've caused yourself by not taking your time, right? So, yeah, so that's really an interesting thing for me. And I love how that came about from, from my dad, you know, cutting a bit of metal with a hacksaw. And, and by the way, you know, that's, it's, it's, um, you know, it's really something to see, um, someone you love in their element, you know, practicing something that they are brilliant at and teaching you something. It's lovely to, and, and, and you know, my dad enjoyed doing that as well. At the end, he said he really enjoyed it. And, and I'm, you know, on the face of it, it's like he's having to work on a, on a Sunday, um, to help me do something that's not really benefiting him. But um, he got joy from it as well, from from teaching me. That's what he said. So anyway, right? Um, yeah, so he took his time to show me how to do this. And then essentially, you know, that'll save him time in the future, hopefully, because if I have to come to put a, a curtain rail up again, I'll know how to do it myself as opposed to him having to come and do it, right? So, so talking about there being so much more to you than what you can just see. It made me think then back to the um, the BBC series, uh, The Brain with David Eagleman. Um, now, I don't know if you can get that on the iPlayer. Um, of course, if you're outside the UK, um, you probably won't be able to get the, the iPlayer. Um, but even in the UK, I don't know if it's actually available at the moment. But the series was called The Brain um, with David Eagleman. And maybe you can buy... Um, you know the series on on DVD or something if you're really interested in it. But this is a a guy called David Eagleman, a neuroscientist, and he was exploring what goes on in the human brain. And um, he talked about these little things in the brain. Now again, these look like um, almost little little creatures when when they were put under a microscope, and you can see them moving about along the neural pathways in the brain. So these are called oligodendrocytes. Oligodendrocytes, right? And these are the little things that produce the myelin sheath, essentially the, um, the insulating cable along the neural pathways in the brain, right? Where the electrical signals, you know, go from one neuron to another. Uh, and so when they myelinate these uh, neural pathways, they... This is my understanding of it anyway. They strengthen uh, the connections and associations um, with one part of the brain to another, right? So, as an example, imagine you see a spider, right? And I'm sorry if you're actually afraid of spiders, right? But imagine if you see a spider in the room and you, your first instinct is to go, boom, get out of the room. And now you're good. Okay, but you're not really good, are you? Because you you know that means you can't be in the same room as a spider if there's a spider there, and you know how do you know that there's not a spider in the room, and and do you want to be afraid like that all the time when he, every time you see a spider? So, um, essentially, what he's saying is, if you always react in that way, then the neural pathways that travel from one part of the brain that sees the spider, sends the message along the neural pathway then to the 
Um, is it the amygdala, the, the brain, um, the, the fear center of the brain? I think it is the amygdala, um, the part of the brain. Uh, apologies if that's not right. But the fear um, center, the fear processor in the brain gets switched on. And then that tells you to get out. Okay. And then what happens is, so I'm looking at, that made me look um, at the, um, so I have an AQA psychology book right now. I told you I'm, I'm really at the very starts of my psychology degree. So um, I never even did a level at uh, psychology. So, you know, that's just how it is, right? And, and so um, I'm learning still. So so I thought, well, I, you know, I don't want to be so cocky to think that there's nothing that I can learn from the the A-level psychology book. So I bought the AQA psychology for A-level book, year one and AS. Um, and so in this um, book, it talks about uh, conditioning, right? And it talks about operant conditioning, uh, a form of learning in which behavior is shaped and maintained by its consequences. Uh, possible consequences of behavior include positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, or punishment, right? So. So conditioning is when you learn by association. It occurs when, when two stimuli are repeatedly paired together. I'm reading this from this book. An unconditioned or unlearned stimulus and a new neutral stimulus. A neutral stimulus eventually produces the same response that was first produced by the unlearned stimulus alone. So it's like Pavlov's dog. You maybe know that where um, a dog is, is um, in a cage, unfortunately, and the... Um, uh, the person, the experimenter, um, rings the bell and brings out the foot at the same time. So the dog then learns to associate the ringing of the bell with food. So they do that a few times. Every time the dog gets food, the bell rings, the, the food comes, and then the experimenters ring the bell without bringing the food, and the dog still salivates. Okay, and, and then eventually the so that's the conditioning, right? So, so that the dog associates the ringing of the bell uh, with the food. And they had done the ringing of the bell um, beforehand. The dog hadn't salivated. Then did the ringing of the bell with the food. And then the dog salivates and then took the food away and just rung the bell. Now the, the dog is conditioned to salivate at the sound of the bell, right? So it's the same thing with, I guess, um, being afraid of spiders. So what would you say? Um... So maybe you see um, a spider and you're not afraid, okay? And then maybe you see your whoever is looking after you, your mum or your dad, and you see the spider and then you see them being afraid and running out of the room and grabbing you and getting you out of the room, right? So now you're afraid because you saw the adult being afraid of it, okay? And then... Now, anytime you see a spider, you run out of the room because you're afraid. That's the kind of conditioning process, right? So, operant conditioning is where, um, essentially, so again, to recap on that, a form of learning in which behavior is shaped and maintained by its consequences, um, essentially where the brain gives you, releases um, chemicals within the brain, little reward for, for you having survives right so uh, let me read from this it says um this guy uh what was his name let me see hobart maurer 
Hobart Mauer around 1960 proposed the two-process model based on the behavioral approach of uh, to phobias. Uh, this states that phobias are acquired, learned in the first place by classical conditioning, and then continue because of operant conditioning. So uh, Maurer suggested that whenever we avoid a phobic stimulus, we successfully escape the fear and anxiety that we would have suffered if we'd remained there. This reduction in fear reinforces the avoidance behavior and so the phobia is maintained. So essentially, your brain rewards you by releasing chemicals. Uh, is it dopamine? I'm not sure. Well, let's say it is. And I say, again, excuse me if I'm wrong and you can you can write a little comment and correct me on it if I'm wrong on any of this stuff or you think that I'm wrong and you know better, then, you know, I, I, I want to learn. So, so do that, right? So let's say it's dopamine that's released in the brain, a little reward for um for having avoided um what you consider to be a dangerous situation whereas you know it might have just been a little harmless spider that doesn't actually wouldn't actually cause you any harm right but if you keep on doing that and keep on doing that right you keep on getting these little rewards and you feel better every time you get out of the room because you think that's why you've survived and whereas if you stayed in the room with the spider and and eventually learn maybe to be able to get the spider in a container and and then move it outside then the little dopamine hit would come from having addressed that so the conditioning to your responses works in that way right so to go back to the oligodendrocytes these little oligodendrocytes the way that this guy um david eagleman the neuroscientist described these in the the bbc series the brain he said that these are like little janitors, um, maintenance workers in the brain that insulate and, uh, and myelinate, that's what it means to, to insulate the neural pathways to make the responses quicker to what you do more often, right? So if seeing the spider, if you always go to the fear place and you, need, you think you have to get out of the room, then if that's always going to be the more you react in that way, the more insulated that pathway becomes, the quicker the response becomes, the stronger it becomes, right? Whereas if you are learning to stay, if you learn to stay in the room with the spider, then the pathway, uh, the neural pathway from you seeing the spider to thinking I'm okay and, and not being afraid becomes stronger, all right? And they, these oligodendrocytes then even scrub away um, pathways that are not being used so often so essentially in your brain it's the more you do something the more you'll keep on doing something right you got to use it or lose it so if you um, don't use a skill or, or or don't react in a certain way the neural pathways stop being so uh, insulated stop being as likely for you to respond in that way. They'll be, they're less likely to be used, those pathways. The more you do something, the more you think something, the more likely you'll be to continue to do or think that thing. So that's amazing, isn't it? You know, small changes can make big differences. You know, the, the more you do something, the easier it will become to carry on doing that. And that works in both a positive and a negative way. If you're doing something that's good for you and you carry on doing it, it's going to become easier to keep on doing that. 
if you do something that's not so good for you, not so constructive, then if you keep on doing that, it's more likely it becomes harder to break that habit, right? So I guess then to wrap it up, try and make it a habit that you measure twice and you only have to cut once. Okay, so I'll sign off here. Thank you so much for, for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed that. Hope you found it useful. Um, again, if you want to support the podcast, if you are finding this useful, um, it really would help me um, to carry on doing this and um, make it worthwhile so that I don't have to stop doing it and go do something else. If you could go to patreon.com, uh, look for Shanti Warrior Yoga. That's S-H-A-N-T-I, Shanti Warrior Yoga. And um, if you wanted to donate, I think it's it's in dollars the way they do it because it's an American website and it gets to me via like a pay a PayPal thing. Um, so you can you know donate the price of a a pint or a cup of coffee every month. Um, if a lot of people do that, small change makes big difference, right? This might then end up um being something that I can take on the road and and could do in other places and um and do live kind of podcasts with great guests and stuff like that so you know all your support is appreciated now if you can't afford to do that or you don't want to do it that's fine you know i'll still love you anyway but um if you don't ask you don't get i guess so um i want to invest more time and money into this and make it even better because i love doing it um if you love it and you want to help me do that then brilliant if not fine i'll still love you anyway all right so let's end it off with um how i how i finish my classes right so Kind thoughts, kind words, kind actions. Apply those things to yourself as well as to others.